You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hey, listeners, it's me, Bridget. I had the honor and the pleasure of sitting down with one of my dearest friends, Miss Beth Burrows. Beth is the American whiskey ambassador for the James B. Beam Distilling Company. Beth has led a life rooted in hospitality, raised by a chef and a family of educators. She has a great love of whiskey, folks, that came many years later when she was working behind the stick in Louisville, Kentucky. And this is where she quickly fell in love with the history and the chemistry all behind American whiskey. Today, you can catch Beth on her Sunday porch sessions broadcasted the last Sunday of every month over the Blends IGTV. When she's not spreading that good word of the James B. Distilling Company or working to uncover the perfect spirit and food pairings, you can find her wandering in nature with her camera or binging Netflix, just like the rest of us. So grab yourself your favorite Jim Beam cocktail, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Served Up. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I've really gotten to know you over the years working with you at Southern Glaciers, and I know that you're just a rock star over at Beam Suntory. And I would love to hear more about your journey, Beth, your personal journey, and what really brought you to the beverage industry. So we want to take it all the way back um, to the very, very beginning. And that was uh, when I was super young. My uh, my mom and my stepdad owned a bar and restaurant in Western New York. So um, I got my start bussing tables and sorting recycling bottles to go back to distributors. So deep ties to distribution in the very beginning. Um, and just kind of got a feel for hospitality and how to deal with consumers and people in your space and how to really, you know, create an environment that was welcoming and a place that people wanted to come back to. Um, so I, I did spend a lot of time there. My mother is a teacher. Um, and my, my father has dabbled in all sorts of different things. He's, he's an amazing business owner. So. And I say, father, I, I'm a yours, mine and ours family. So I go by two moms, two dads. Um, you know, step is a four letter word in my family. So if you hear me saying those things, just uh, get confused. It's fine. I'm also one of 10 children, so it'll get real weird. Um, <laughs> but that's really where it started. It, it really started with me understanding hospitality through my parents in the lens of my parents' business. And as time went on, I just, I always ended up back in hospitality. I, my first job was as a, a hostess and then eventually as a server in a local restaurant where I grew up. And when I got to college, it, it just kept coming on. So I, I worked in different bars and restaurants through college to help put myself through college. And eventually I did get out of the game for a little bit. Um, I studied sports administration in college. I thought I was going to be like the next, uh, you know, sideline reporter for the NFL. And 
it just, it, it never quite got to that point. I always kept going back to the industry and, and I did take a step away too and did some, some fun insurance things. No offense to anybody in insurance, but it definitely was not the gig for me. Um, and there was an opportunity with a bar that was opening up in, in Louisville, Kentucky. And I knew some of the folks who were kind of spearheading that opening and reached out and said, Hey, you know, I, I'm missing it so much. How do I get back in? And they said, well, we have a serving position available. I said, done. Take it. I'm in. Let's go. And so I, I interviewed. They said yes. And I took the serving position. And I took it in the end of 2012. And they didn't open until February 25th of 2013. And so I had this opportunity to sit with them and learn all of the things. We had amazing speakers coming in from different distilleries. We got to go to distilleries. We got to you know go to the Cooperages and see everything firsthand. And I just soaked it in. Like I was a student of the whiskey world. And I continue to be, um, but that's really where that that love started. And so, did the serving thing for just a, a period of time, and eventually moved up. Ended up behind the bar, which is where I I felt the most at home. Um, and I'd been behind the bar before, but this was my first real like craft cocktail experience. I wasn't just doing the sling and ring, which I absolutely adored, but this was a little bit more poignant into how I was making the cocktails, how they tied back to the distilleries, how they tied to the brands themselves, and and really got to just kind of flex that muscle. And started doing cocktail competitions and lighting things on fire in a non-arson way um, <laughs> as, most, as best I could. And just really fell in love with that. And again, moved up through the ranks, moved to bar manager, then eventually got to the AGM position, which was a fantastic learning experience. I had an amazing mentor and you know, he taught me the ropes and we were on Whiskey Row. So to have a bourbon bar on Whiskey Row during this renaissance of bourbon and classic cocktails, it was just this amazing experience and immersion. And eventually he moved along and, and took a different position. And after a little bit of <laughs> just more work, I ended up as a general manager. So um, I had worked my way from server to general manager in that bar in about three years, I'd say. Um, and... It was wonderful. It was not only just a bar and restaurant, there was a delicatessen, there was an ice cream shop. It was a, a really weird but amazing experience. Um, and I say weird very affectionately. And then this this role came about. Um, the person who was in this role before me, the amazing and wonderful Megan Breyer, was moving on and going to the West Coast. She was going to take the ambassadorial position on the West Coast for American Whiskey for the James B. Beam Distilling Company. And we had had a great rapport. I spent a lot of time with her um, and some of the other ladies of the BSI whiskey world. And when Megan came to me, she said, look, I'm, I'm going, uh, I think you'd be great. And all I can say is I think you'd be great and you should go for it. And I said, okay, done, let's do this. And after three months and five interviews, a personality test, you know, all the, all of the things I, I got this position that was five and a half years ago. And, and here we are, I get to spread the good word of the American whiskey category of the James B. Beam Distilling Company and do amazing things with you and all of the folks at, at Southern Glaciers and all across the country with our trade folks and, and consumers alike. I mean, you've had quite a career and you really are. I mean, I've been working with you now for, you know, for a few years and you really are a true whiskey expert and, and really a, a true face of Jim Beam. You're very close to the family. You do these Sunday porch sessions literally at the distillery that are incredible. And just I want to take it back just a little bit because you said something that, you know, we are on Whiskey Row. So our listeners are, are international, not just here in the U.S. And so for those that may not 
know that term, can you maybe um, tell them exactly what that is and why that's important? For sure. So, you know, obviously the heart of bourbon tends to be in the Bardstown area, right? That's where we see a lot of different bourbon distilleries getting their start and kind of filtering out to the the counties that surround Bardstown, including Claremont, which is where we are at the James B. Beam Distilling Company. But when it comes to the actual bourbon trade and when bourbon was really starting to get its foothold in the American culture and really just do all of the things that we know and love now as, as the history that started it all, um, Louisville was on the Ohio River. And so being able to ship the whiskey from these distilleries down the Ohio River, down to the south, right, into all of these other places... Um, it was a really important port. And so Whiskey Row is that street or one of the streets right there along the Ohio River in downtown Louisville. And so it's seen a resurgence in the last seven, eight, nine years where we've seen either distilleries opening up right on Whiskey Row. So people like Old Forester recently opened up their distillery. You've got um, Evan Williams, who had opened their distillery on Whiskey Row. Mictors has an experience on Whiskey Row. And then bars and restaurants who have really embraced this bourbon culture have all popped up along there as well. And they're historic buildings. They have so much history, so much rich history. Even if the buildings aren't still there, the front facades are there. And you can just, you can feel it when you're on, on Whiskey Row. And so that's what I mean when I say the words Whiskey Row. It's just this very historic area of downtown Louisville um, where we, we have seen a bourbon resurgence in uh, the businesses that have come through. You know, whiskey itself has such a, such an amazing history that is definitely intertwined with American history, but but also beyond that as well. Um, can you tell me some of your favorite, uh, you know, tales that you like to tell, you know, about bourbon in general and also about Jim Beam? For sure. So like you said, it, it's such a rich history and, and you can't really look at American history without looking at bourbon history and vice versa. Um, you know, we are where we are and who we are in the bourbon category in the American whiskey category because of history, where people landed in the United States, they were farmers first, right? And so we see people generally landing in Pennsylvania and Maryland. And then eventually, as we progress across the plains and, and everywhere, you know, down to the south across Appalachia and, and opening up into kind of the central part of the United States we start to see this migration of these farmers who are distilling their excess grains. And that's where we got our start. You know, Jacob Beam was our first generation master distiller. He laid down his first barrel of whiskey in 1795 in what is now present day Kentucky, but he was a farmer. He just happened to have a still on his back when he walked, walked, yes, walked from Maryland to what is now present day Kentucky. And, and he took that distillation knowledge that he had brought over from his ancestors and from all the folks that were here. And that was really, you know, the first step into what we were doing with the Beam family and what is now 226 years of Beam family distilling. As he passed it along and as we see, you know, the country moving along in its historical roots, we have the Industrial Revolution. What does that mean for whiskey? Well, railroads, right? Railroads were now able to ship grains in, ship whiskey out get us to different things. It's always fun for me when you get like really historical nerds that are like, well, do you think that this brand in this era made it to like this city? And so I, at one point in time, had a bunch of railroad maps from the, the 1800s. And I'm thinking about, you know, uh, David M, who is the grandson of Jacob, who really kind of got us through the end of the Industrial Revolution and set the groundwork for his son, Jim Beam, which we all know and love as, as our fourth generation master distiller, but of course, the namesake of our brand. And like, I'm okay, 
old tub was, was, uh, David M's brand. It was his distillery. He was running it with some of his family members and they wanted to know if old tub had made it to Chicago. So I laid out all of these maps and I'm like, well, this railroad system and this railroad system, it's plausible because if you shipped from our distillery at that point in time, which, um, you know, was a little bit more West than we are now here in Claremont and got to the line that went up to Chicago, there's a really good chance that yes, it did make it there. Do I have historical facts that it did? Absolutely not. But I can make the, you know, the assumption that it was a, a possibility. Um, and so, like I said, as, as this historic movement of the United States keeps going, we, we move into World War I. We move into what I never talked about 19 months ago, which is the Spanish flu <laughs> and, you know, the pandemic of 1918, which we would have never thought about because we hadn't lived through that pandemic. And a lot of folks who did live through that aren't really telling the tale of what it was like to live through the, the 1918 pandemic. So you know, we're seeing what it was like to get through World War One. I. I have had this amazing opportunity and this wealth of knowledge in Baker Beam and uh, being able to sit and speak with him about what it was like, you know, the stories that he heard. He wasn't alive in 1918, but he, he came around in 1936. So he was right after Prohibition. But understanding, you know, World War One, we didn't make any whiskey because we had distilling efforts going towards the war effort. You know, we were distilling for them five days a week. And so when World War II rolls around, now we're distilling not only for the, the governmental efforts and the war effort during the week, that's when we start to see seven-day production. And we move into this five days a week for the, the general effort of you know, being a good patriot, but also two days a week so that by the time World War II ended, we had a surplus of whiskey which is not something that we had, um, you know, after World War One, which is honestly fine, because after World War One and the pandemic, you go into prohibition, and we weren't making whiskey during prohibition. So <laughs> but yeah, so that's really, I mean, as we look at those things, those are some things that I would have never thought about, I would have never, you know, really dug my heels into in the historical aspect and what that meant for us until I heard the stories until you know, I had people like Baker, who would tell me this is what was happening and how we adjusted and, and how we moved and and the things that we did differently. And so those are always fun, fun stories to tell because people don't generally think about that. Yeah. A lot of times I think that especially like the consumer doesn't really think beyond the cocktail, you know, what really went in to make that liquid? What's the history behind it? I always say that the bottles behind the bar, so many of them are antiques. They all have a story. They all have a family, you know? And um, so it's really fun that that's part of your every day. And with that comes incredible insights, you know, what people are drinking and maybe what has changed over the years as well, as far as bourbon drinkers go. And I would love to talk a little bit about this because I know last year, you know, we went through um, such shit with COVID, right? And we're still trying to come out of it. We don't know what's going to happen. And with so many, with all the restaurants and bars, you know, shutting down, which is totally crazy, totally strange. Now that things are reopening, what are some things that you're seeing, Beth, at bars and restaurants? What are some changes maybe that you're seeing with bourbon and with the industry as a whole? Loaded question for sure. I mean, as we look at the industry, as much as I love this industry, you know, hospitality has been my life for so long and, and it will hopefully forever be my life because this is where I feel that I belong. But there was a lot that needed to be adjusted. You know, a lot of things in the way that we operate and the way that people within the system operate that needed to be adjusted for just the overall people's living situations, right? And, and living a, a happier and more healthy life, a balanced, a more balanced life. 
one that was a bit more fruitful in their endeavors instead of just the relentless amount of time and the relentlessness on your body and and all of these different things that we just, we needed to take a moment of pause. And I think that this was a, as much as the pandemic has been just absolutely devastating for families, for people, for industries, for, for so many things, if we look at that silver lining and realize that we're hopefully never going to get an opportunity like this again. Um, and that we need to seize this opportunity to look at the things that needed to be adjusted, that needed to have a little bit more care or attention paid to them so that when we build back, we build back better. And having that opportunity is a blessing. It really, really is. And I think the adjustments that we're seeing are more thoughtfulness into hours and time that businesses are investing in being open, right? Um, not just being the, we're going to be the first people open and the last people open. That way we can capitalize on the most amount of time when a lot of time that wasn't most beneficial for the restaurant as a whole, the bar as a whole, or the, the folks who were helping run the operations during those times. So just more thoughtfulness going into the time and the efforts that are spent on the people that are working there. Um, looking at how we operate in the thoughtfulness of going into operations. Things like the blend, which I know that you're incredibly familiar with, the where we have things like the refire series, which I will praise and preach about from now until forever, because it's so much thoughtfulness going into how we create space for people, how we hold space for people, and how we make everyone comfortable. Hospitality is about making people feel comfortable in the spaces that they enter. And so taking the time to step back and say, okay, we're not just thinking about one patron, we're thinking about all patrons. We're not just thinking about you know, how we can do things. One thing that changed for me, which is so crazy, just for any background, I'm pretty sure you probably already talked to people about the refire series, but it's a six part series that really delves into how we as an industry can operate. And one of the things that they talked about was, you know, access and and accessibility of different pieces of your restaurant. Do you have a, a wheelchair ramp to get in? But one of the things that has changed for me, I cannot walk into a restroom in a public place without thinking about accessibility now. Um, without thinking about how people move in that space. Do you have enough room? Are you able to you know, maneuver in a comfortable way and fashion to take care of yourself in that space, no matter who you are, right? And I think that's such a crazy takeaway, but it's, it's so unique and, and very important because we all have to do it, right? We all are out in the world. And how do we make sure that everyone is comfortable in that space? Because there's, there's nothing worse than walking into somewhere and just not feeling okay whether it be the restroom, the actual, you know, facility of the restaurant or anything, like, how do you feel comfortable? Yeah. <laughs> feel comfortable? <laughs> yeah. And really meeting people in their space, you know, meeting them where, they where they're, where they are a hundred percent. Um, maybe if you wouldn't mind, could you tell the listeners what the blend is? We have talked about it before, but if they're just tuning in for the first time, we want to know what the blend is and where you can find it and what exactly the refire series is. For sure. And I wish Robin Nance was here because she could do a much better job at this than I can because I can just kind of fumble over what it's meant to me. The blend in and of itself is something that was created a multitude of years ago in another country, right? I believe it started in Australia and it, Mm -hmm. it was this organization for the trade to have a place for their information. Um, where they can go to and and pull information about the industry that's going to be helpful on their journey to get deeper into this industry. 
And so recently we have launched the Blend US, which is even more of a you know 360 approach to how we can grow this industry, how we can help people within this industry mm-hmm. understand things like in a fun way. I mean, ingredient of we focus on ingredients. We focus on, um, you know, different pieces of the bar. We also have conversations and trade are coming to us with information. They are the people who are the content creators and they're bringing their voice and their experience to the front lines to say, this is how it is, or this is what I do, or their own voices can speak through and talk to the people who are interested in learning more and growing themselves and doing, you know, the next level of what they're trying to do within the industry. So um, thinking about like the ode to the court container, right? was one of the first things that came out on the Blend US. And I just, if you've ever worked in the industry, you know that the court container is the all-encompassing everything that you could possibly need. You're going to drink water in excess as a, a person, you know, on the line in the kitchen. It's in a court container. You need to store things behind the bar. Fantastic court container. You need, you know, I can't recommend that that article enough. Um, Nick Korn does an amazing job. But, you know, the blend in and of itself is a tool. It's a resource for people within the industry or folks who are, you know, industry adjacent to come in and get information, to have their ear to the ground, to be in the know and find more out about whatever it is that they're trying to find more out about. Um, and a voice for the industry. You know, it's, it's a voice for our trade members to come in and speak honestly and speak authentically about their experience within the industry and how they feel about whatever aspect, you know, and category they're speaking about. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a wonderful resource for anyone that would even like to enter the beverage industry all the way to seasoned veterans in the beverage industry. I think there's something on that website for, for anyone. So do you want to share the address for the blend? For sure. So you can actually go online and it's www.theblend.world slash en dash us. Awesome. And it'll, it'll pop up. You'll see the blend you know, logo and everything and, and all that information. You're going to make sure that you age verify yourself because we are talking about spirits. So we want to make sure that people are of legal drinking age and you can sign up and, and get information You know, as a member of the blend. They also have an Instagram that you can go to. It's just kind of a quick access and kind of get a feel for what the blend has. And that's at the blend US on Instagram. Perfect. Okay, listeners, that's your challenge. When you get done listening to this, definitely jump on the blend. It's also on our Link Paw uh, served up podcast that you can find on Instagram as well. So, Beth, you know, somebody that loves bourbon, loves American whiskey, can you tell us what's going to be your go to cocktail for the holiday season? Ooh, solid. Um, so there's a few go-tos, you know, I, I adjust through the seasons and then I of course adjust to my taste and who I'm around and what I'm doing. But one of my favorite is a holiday mule that I make with Jim Bean Black. So that's going to be your base of course. And then a cranberry cardamom simple syrup that I make. Yeah. And if you want to go easy with it, it's super easy to just take not cranberry juice, or you want to do like actual cranberry juice. You don't want to have the sugar cocktail-y one, right? <laughs> Whatever you purchase. Um, so you just take that. You're going to throw it into a saucepan. I throw in some cardamom pods and I just keep tasting, right? I add a bit of sugar to it as we go through because I'm making a syrup. Um, you can do a one-to-one ratio. You can do a two-to-one ratio, just kind of whatever your preference is. Those cardamom pods are going to be rather aggressive through time though. So you always want to make sure that you're constantly tasting. 
But once you have that cranberry cardamom syrup, it's good for about three weeks. So you can have it through all of December, right? Make it all the way through the holidays. So Jim Beam Black Cranberry Cardamom Simple Syrup. Um, I add a little bit of lime to that and then top it with my as spicy as I can find ginger beer. That is, that's oh my, my go-to. It sounds so <laughs> good. And are you serving that over the, on the rocks or how are you serving that? I like my crushed ice with my mules. Mm-hmm. So, um, and you know, holiday frustrations, you can always get your Lewis bag and mallet out and just... <laughs> Oh, that's what they said to me. Fantastic. Somebody asked me again about why I'm single, uh, right? And <laughs> just, just take it out on the Lewis bag. And then the the garnish is always super fun. If you're going to do the cranberries, which I always suggest to do like drunken cranberries. So get that nice frag of fresh cranberries and pierce them because you want to make sure that it has time to infuse and then just let them soak in some more Jim Beam Black and then toast some fresh rosemary. It's a very aromatic cocktail. It's a very delicious cocktail. It's super approachable. You know, Jim Beam Black is 86 proof. So it's not going to be an overly aggressively boozy um, base to your cocktail. And the simple is going to help. And it's just got so much flavor and so much complexity to it that it really allows for just kind of like the holiday in a glass, but not having to go over to warm cocktails. Oh my gosh, it sounds so delicious. I absolutely love that. And, you know, I hear that Jim Beam, that the distillery and that the visitor center did just reopen. Is that true? Yes. It's so exciting. Oh my gosh. Can you tell our listeners where that is located, what's been updated and what to expect when you visit? For sure. So we are in Claremont, Kentucky. So if you're familiar with Louisville, you're going to hop on 65 South and go about 25 miles to the South. Like you're heading towards Nashville, but you're going to stop after 25 miles. Um, And we're right off the exit. So um, we are the only distillery in Claremont, Kentucky. And you can come visit us at the American Outpost, formerly known as the American Stillhouse, which is where our tours begin right here on property. It has been completely revamped, the outside and the inside. Our experience is much different. It's still familiar. It still feels like home. It still feels like the the James Beam Distilling Company of yesteryear. But with so many different updates and nuances and new things, um, you know, the ever-changing photos on the wall, you've got you know, an amazing opportunity for really great merchandise, which I always love to, to do my shopping um, and all the brands are represented as well. So you see a, a bit more of those brands on really cool merch. Um, there's a bar experience upstairs that we didn't used to have in a tasting room, which is very, very exciting. So we've, we've got like a private, a more private area for you to do those tastings. And for you, of course, to have your bar experience, we have a brand new bar and restaurant on property called The Kitchen Table. And if you're familiar with the Beam family, um, The Kitchen Table is a really, really important keys to family. It's where you can kind of all come together at the end of a day and talk about your day, talk about your motivations, your wins, your losses, your need to do this tomorrow or, you know, need to try this again or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, it's an opportunity for everyone to come together. And, and the only thing that we ask is we we make the table bigger, right? Because there needs to be a seat for everyone. And so we've got the kitchen table. We have an amazing bar there. The food is fantastic. I had an opportunity to do some pairings with uh, some straight pours, some neat pours of our American whiskeys with some of the food there. So, so good. The bourbon ball is to like die for. It's made with bakers. It's so good. So we've got that on property, which is it's so nice to have a, a dedicated space for our, our culinary as well as our, our cocktails. The Fred B. No Craft Distillery is up and running, which is absolutely amazing. And I call it a craft distillery. It's not technically the name. It is a Fred B. No Distillery within our distillery. 
Um, but when we talk about craft, I think that it's a muddled term, right? People think craft has to mean small. It doesn't. You know, we are the number one selling bourbon in the world with with our Jim Beam White. And I think that you can't get more craft than what we we do here. Um, I think it's really, really important. We talk about craft. It just means the meticulous effort to make sure that we produce and create the best of the best that we possibly can. Um, and I think that that's something that we do. And then at the, the Fred B. No Distillery or the FBN, because we really love acronyms here, <laughs> James B. Beam, and, and as Beam Centauri as a whole, we love our acronyms. We have this opportunity where our eighth generation distiller in the Beam family, Freddie No, is going to have a space to work in, in smaller batches to not only craft things like Little Book, which is you know his namesake and, and what he's done for the last five five years, which is so crazy to think about. Um, feels like forever, but also feels like yesterday that the first release came out. You know, he has a, an opportunity to really focus and hone in on on little book, but also you know growing that small batch collection into the new world that that we live in. Um, his granddaddy is the one that brought it around in 1992, and it's been growing ever since. His father has done an amazing job as our current master distiller, Mr. Fred No, who we all know and love. He's literally one of the greatest human beings in the history of the world. Um, and so, just kind of carrying on that legacy and being able to do more smaller stills, smaller fermenters. Um, the ability to, you know, do things on a smaller scale to where we can try things out, see how things are going to go before we amp it up and, and do it to the stills that produce a barrel of whiskey every 16 seconds. <laughs> um, so there's that. Yeah, that that is an amazing facility. It is one of the facilities that is not necessarily on the the general tour path. It's going to be more for trade advocacy and and certain opportunities like that to where you're going to be able to see things on that smaller scale, smaller you know curated experiences through there. Um, but the main tour path has also changed. So anybody that had walked through our path before, you were introduced to all the different components of whiskey, as you are on most you know whiskey distillery or bourbon distillery paths. But this, you know, is a, a definite immersive experience. You get to see, I don't want to give anything away. Um, people will probably see it online, but the installations that are in that space are just they're they're breathtaking. They are really just kind of awe-inspiring. As you walk in, you hear about the water source, the yeast, the um, you know, the different grains that go into it. You can see the fermenters and you can see the actual depth of the fermenters. So when you used to walk through our distillery path. You could you could look down and really see and get the breath of of how big those fermenters are. The ones that are our main fermenters are forty five thousand eight hundred and forty three gallons. I do believe numbers are hard. And um, after COVID, I don't know if I'm right anymore, but they're close to that. It's one of those numbers that stuck in my head. Um, we have like three more fermenters in there that are also bigger, but you get to see the entirety of those fermenters from from tops to bots. You get to to really feel just how like just immense that distillation process, you know, and fermenting process is because you're immersed into that experience as you walk through it. And then you get to go through Big House, which is always fun. You get to see just how how fast it's coming out of the the tailboxes and you know our high wine and our low wines, and so you just get this really amazing immersive experience. You can also, of course, eat and drink at the the new kitchen table, and then having that space for Freddie to just continue to create and and push the boundaries of what we know as American whiskey. So that was a lot. That, I, well, I told you a lot of things, but <laughs> well, I mean, it's been under construction for such a long time, right? So I am so excited to visit. I can't wait to experience all of that. I love that there's a restaurant there, yes. you know, so you can really take your time and not have to worry about driving, you know, anywhere else. 
And it yeah. sounds like you can spend a good part of the afternoon right there at the distillery. It's amazing. I would suggest, yeah, like carving out a, a good portion of your day to come and see everything that, that's happening here in Claremont to walk the property because you're still going to be able to to walk around and see things. And, you know, we're surrounded by our amazing warehouses, some of which are very, very old. You know, yeah. like you, you get to see this historical piece of what we are here in Claremont. You know, this distillery was purchased in Prohibition by Jim Beam himself. It was revamped and redone after Prohibition was repealed in the, the mid 1930s. and to see just where it was and what he was able to do with it and how we have been able to take it since 1935 into our new world and the production that we have to do now for where we are in the world of American whiskey and where we are in the world of bourbon and how much people love, love, love um, this product, which thankfully, thank you all. We really appreciate you. Please keep drinking it responsibly. To see just the breadth of this living history and this this growth that we're making. I mean, we're we're making history daily, right? Here on the grounds that have been making history for a very long time. So it's a magical place. You can spend so much time here, especially if you love to nerd out. If you love to nerd about the whiskey and the history and the family and you know, just every the science um behind what it takes to craft these amazing spirits. So Carve out, carve out a while. You're, you're going to yeah. want to be here for a minute. Yeah, it's it sounds like it's it's basically like the Disney World of, of, of bourbon American whiskey. <laughs> so definitely carve out some time for sure. Uh, can you tell the listeners about your Sunday porch sessions? Sure. So like everyone else, when the pandemic was in its infancy, um, we thought that it was going to be kind of a, a couple weeks and, and hopefully we would back to the quote unquote normal. Obviously, that did not happen. But one of the things that I I wanted to do while we were in this place of not being able to see each other and not being able to bring people to the distillery was I wanted to bring the distillery to people. Um, and so trying to figure out how to do that, I decided that I wanted to do a virtual experience where I would essentially bring my friends in the industry onto the front porch with me virtually and shoot the shit and have, you know, great conversation and sip some delicious beverages or, you know, straight pours or whatever it might be. And just talk about what was happening, how they were adjusting, what their life was like now versus, you know, how it was prior to just to kind of bring a little bit of normalcy to understanding we're all going through it. Everybody's stuff is is changing and evolving, but also keeping a very upbeat approach to how we were looking at it because we were trying to build a community virtually through these port sessions um, that we weren't necessarily getting because the world was what it was. Um, so I decided, I said, you know, every Sunday I'm going to do this because surely to goodness, it'll just be a little bit of time. Um, and obviously it wasn't. So we ended up with 26 sessions, um, that first year, which was last year in 2020 of me coming down to the distillery and sitting on the porch and virtually joining my, my acquaintances and, and friends on Instagram and, um, just, just having those conversations. And honestly, it was the greatest thing. Yes, it was a lot. Um, every Sunday was a lot. It was a big commitment, but one, it was just nice to be able to be with people, even if it was in a virtual space, you know, not only the folks that I was speaking to, but, but the folks that were joining us, you know, there were people that joined week after week and were super engaged in conversations and, just feeling like I had a little bit of community and hopefully other people were feeling that community as well. 
And at the end of the year, this used to be on the Jim Beam Distillery handle on Instagram. We were going to go like undergo some different rebranding and things like that with the new distillery opening. And so it was going to be a lot for me to to still continue on that handle and for them to be able to to shut it down, revamp it, get everything together. Um, I needed somewhere to take the port sessions. And so as we were speaking about the blend, they were nice enough to say, we like this program a lot. We really enjoy what you're doing and think that it's um, beneficial to the community. And so they asked if I would bring porch sessions over to the blend. So I was able to do that. And in a very, very excited me, um, decided that once a month was enough uh, for people, <laughs> people to listen to me talk. And so the last Sunday of each month, I would meet virtually on the porch with different people through the industry and chat about what it was like in 2021 and what they were doing and the projects they were working on and um you know how they were were dealing with life at this you know date and time and the cool projects that people had come up with during the pandemic to to help other people whether it be through community outreach whether it be the industry as a whole or you know specific pockets of people who were victims in the world that we're in and needed that extra oomph and spotlight and love and you know things like uh, liquid love letters with Ali and and what she was able to do in the AAPI community during a time when we were seeing a lot of AAPI hate. And it, it's just such a beautiful thing that it became. I don't think I knew what it was going to do um, in the very beginning. It was just, how can I do this? Like, how can I solve the problem of not being around people? And and Port Sessions came about and it has grown into something so incredibly special Uh that I I never knew. I never knew it would happen. Um, and I'm so thankful that it did. And I'm so thankful that so many people invested their time and effort and stood behind it and said, we think that this is important and fought for it to make sure that it, it stayed around. Crazily enough, I've, I've done a couple of things today. It's been a very, very busy day. Um, but the first thing that I did was a, a class with some folks internal to, to Beam Suntory. And there was a fellow who I met for the first time. And he said, you know, I've only been with a company for a, a handful of months. And he said, but I learned so much from your porch sessions that it made me feel like I I could understand what was happening. And it made me confident in coming in and applying. Like it was such a like moment of, oh my God, like it's hard to take a step back. I mean, I, I know that you've done so much with this podcast and I know the people that you've reached and, and spoken to and had the opportunity. I'm sure when you started this, it wasn't necessarily what you thought was going to happen. But no. when you hear those things, when you mm-hmm. hear that people enjoy it or they they come back and seen it or it meant something to them or you introduce them to someone. I mean, we were talking earlier uh, about Erica and patience and I met Erica through work that I was doing here at the distillery. And then I was able to introduce you to Erica and, and patients and the relationship that you all have now is it, it just brings community. And, and, people and now I might be going on a cruise with them next year. I don't know. We become really good, like amazing girlfriends. I don't even know what's happening, but you know, and that all came from, I watched their session and I, I did enjoy so many of your porch sessions. And I think that they were important and remain to be important um, within our industry as a resource source to know what's going on and to also, you know, hear from folks that we don't always hear from on topics that we don't talk enough about, which is, you know, just like we try to do here on Served Up. So I admire the work that you're doing. I'm not surprised at all by what the gentleman said to you (laughs) because you're doing important work that's well beyond that bottle that you represent. So 
I feel very honored to call you my friend and someone that I admire so much in the beverage industry. So with that, you know, I just, I want to thank you for taking time with me today, Beth, you know, for being unserved up. And I, I seriously, I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you. I really am. Those words mean so much to me. I mean, I am so thankful for the friendship that we've been able to cultivate over the last couple of years, but also just so much during this, this safe at home period or this pandemic or panorama or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, the opportunity to get to know you more and spend more time with you, whether it be in the virtual space or when we get to hug each other again. Can't wait. Can't wait. I can't wait. Prepare to be tackled. It's going to be a whole thing. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. But I want to, on behalf of the Served Up family, I want to wish you, you know, just so much peace and just great health during this time. And just keep just keep going out there and doing what you do, Beth. You're making a difference in the beverage community and well beyond with all your great work. And and thank you for also carrying that good word of bourbon. Uh, <laughs> keep keep preaching it. Keep preaching it. I will always have trunk whiskey. Fear not. Uh, I, will, <laughs> I will always have it with me. Uh, but thank you. No, I really appreciate it. I've wanted to be a part of the podcast for so long, and I'm so thankful that uh, you saw fit for this to happen. So thank yes, you. Yes. Cheers to you, Beth. Cheers, my dear. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers. Cheers.